Good morning. We're in the book of Hebrews, and we, uh, before I get into this, a public service announcement. I think I'm going to bring up different public service announcements from time to time. Uh, about three or four weeks ago, I saw an article where uh, a preacher from the UK was put in jail for reading from Leviticus about homosexuality. So you say, well, that's the UK, and we don't know if they've got a First Amendment. They don't even have a constitution. Well, they have some rights from the Magna Carta. But here's, you know, the, the USA ourselves, where I want you to notice that underline. Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party and the candidate, and so the IRS turned down that uh, particular 5013C request. So... They could sooner or later turn down a 5013C request by a church. And if the church doesn't toe the line, they could take it away. And so, just the signs of the times. We ended last week right at the beginning of chapter 5, where it was a discussion of Aaron's priesthood. And I made the comment, you know, Aaron was Moses' big brother, but when Moses came down from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai, Joshua said, it's the sound of war. And Moses said, oh no, they're partying. And of course, Moses confronts his big brother and his big brother says, you know, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, but I took all the ladies' earrings and threw them in the fire and out jumped this golden calf. That's the high priest? He was tempted, yet with sin, and yet his bloodline became the bloodline of the, of the Levitical priesthood. And here are these Hebrew believers, 1,500 years later, still steeped in those traditions. And this whole treatise is about focusing on Jesus and not worrying about all that stuff, quote-unquote, that you grew up with. Willie and I, we understand, quote-unquote, the things that we grew up with. We were both raised... Catholic, a very different uh, faith system. So, Andrew's priesthood, let's read the first few verses together, chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's the purpose of a priest. We're going to come down in a few verses, and the Bible says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, if the duty of a priest is to offer gifts and sacrifices, there's not very much written about Melchizedek, and we're going to see what he offered. We're in Hebrews chapter 5. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Again, talking about the high priest. The high priest is supposed to be, first of all, of the bloodline of Levi, but second of all, he's supposed to be empathetic. He's not supposed to be high and mighty. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of his people. Of course, Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for his own sins. He was without sin. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory to become a high priest. 
and we're going to see, oh, I'll just keep on going for one more verse. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the first thing we learn is that in verse 1, he's to be taken from among men. And we talked a little bit last week about Isaiah 53, and that's exactly where I stopped. But we'll take a look at Galatians chapter 4 first. But when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time, he's going to talk about the 33 years that Jesus had an earthly ministry. And by the way, a week from now, we're going to start an adult vacation Bible school, and it's going to cover the exact same topics that the younger people are going to cover. And day one is Jesus, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the whole gamut of the lifespan. Day two will be Jesus in the Old Testament. Day three will be Jesus in the New Testament. And so when this thing says, when the fullness of time had come, he's talking about those 33 years. Then things get much more focused, and it begins with the first thing we hear about Jesus as an adult, where Mary says at the wedding of the, of the, uh, the wedding at Cana, uh, what did Jesus respond to Mary when she asked him about the wine? My, my hour has not yet come. My time or my hour has not yet come. And then we're fast forward three years. Now he's 33 years old, and he says, the time is at hand. My hour has come. And so in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That connects with the, the verse, the line up above, must be taken from men. Born of a woman, not born of a man, because he was born under the law. The law says, this is not just Jesus, this is his parents, the law says that when husband and wife consummate the marriage, they're unclean. So when the Bible says that Jesus was born under the law, there was no uncleanness. This was a virgin birth, yet born among humans, or chosen from among humans. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Not just the Hebrews, but we're all under the law. Well, John, the, the, uh, the, Bible, the law was given to the Israelites. Yeah, the book of Romans says, those that have no law, there becomes a law unto itself. So that we might redeem adoption as sons. When I think of Romans chapter 8 that says that we're adopted and therefore we can call him Abba, Father. Verse, 50, verse 2 in chapter 53, Isaiah 53 is a rough chapter if you're a Jewish person because it spells out so much of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, as does Psalm 22. You put those two together and a Jewish person would be scratching the back of his head. There's nowhere to go because today's Jewish person, unless they're under a rock somewhere, they have heard of Jesus Christ. But uh, verse 2 says that he was just a common person. And I mentioned last week, if you go to Israel and you find a little boy, that's what Jesus looked like. He didn't stand out from the crowd. He didn't have a halo. We're going to see a picture of Jesus with a halo in a little bit. But he was just a common person born of a common family. 
born in Bethlehem to satisfy the prophets, but raised in Nazareth, so people would say, Jesus the Nazarene. When, that, when Nathaniel was approached by um, Andrew, Nathaniel says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a little, in, in today's woke generation, you would call that a, a microaggression. So also in verse 1, he acted as a representative of the people and not as a private individual. Jesus didn't have to come down here to save himself. He came down here to save me. He, and the book of Philippians says that, that his, his eternal godhood was not something that he was going to, to grasp. He was going to let it go so he could be made human. And it talks about his obedience. And we're going to get to the word obedience shortly. In Hebrews, the Bible says that he learned obedience from suffering. Now, it's really easy for me if I were obedient if my mom says, put them in the fuse freezer and get one of those ice cream pops. That's an easy one, right? John, I want you to take out the trash. That's not so easy. Jesus, I want you to suffer and die. That's a tough one. He learned obedience through suffering. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. How many times have I said all and once for all and better? Now, as we make this transition, chapter 5 goes on, and it's interesting, Paul says, there's so much more I'd like to tell you, but you're dull of hearing. You're not ready for this stuff. And then he takes the next four chapters talking about what's not as much as he wanted to say. So he was chosen from men, and he was chosen as a representative of men, and he was not exempt from weakness. When Jesus came down here, and we talked about this last week, yes, he was hungry, yes, he was tired, yes, he got heartbroken. We're going to talk about heartbroken again, and we'll talk about the, the several times in the Bible where it says Jesus wept. He did not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness because he knew that weakness. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He came before God with gifts and sacrifices. Now, I was talking with Jill Zook last week after Sunday school. If you're not aware, the Zook family just came back from a, a trip to Canada. And I said, I bet you saw some really nice landscapes. And I, that's not one of her pictures that came off the internet. She said, yeah, John, but you know what? I was looking at some of the photographs that we took it's just not the same. Well, that's a big duh, right? There you see a two-dimensional picture. You can't feel the cold air coming off the glaciers at you. That is like, in the Bible, you have a type and you have an anti-type, an anti-type. You have a shadow and you have the real thing. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, if they were the same, 
You wouldn't need the type and the anti-type. Jesus would have been there up front as opposed to coming on later on. You wouldn't need the Ark of the Covenant. You have Jesus as the temple there. But there was the type and the anti-type. And so we're going to see this as we move through here. Hebrews 9.24. For Christ has entered not unto the holy places made with hands. He's talking about the tabernacle and in this case the temple. At that time the temple had not yet been destroyed by the Romans. That would have been 70 A.D. If Paul wrote this thing, and I believe that he did, it would be before 64 A.D. because that's when Paul was killed. But he's saying, Jesus didn't come to the temple to sacrifice, although we read many, many times he was at the temple in the temple courts. He never did enter into the Holy of Holies because he wasn't a high priest according to the Levitical order. He entered the high priest when the veil was repped, uh, rent top to bottom. There were copies of true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He went to heaven Easter Sunday morning. He told Mary, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended to be with the Father. He ascended, he presented gifts and sacrifices. When the high priest went into the holy place, he would sprinkle the blood and out on the altar he'd be burning the sacrifice. Jesus' body was the sacrifice and his blood was the gift. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. The, Aaron, the Levitical priest didn't, didn't slash his wrist and say, here's some of my blood. It was the blood of an animal. And we're going to see, if we get as far as chapter 6, that uh, Paul goes on to say, he says, you know, we want to teach you advanced things, but you guys aren't ready for advanced. We want you to leave behind. And one of the things that he says leaving behind was the laying on of hands. Now, when we think of laying on of hands, we think of ordination. But when they were thinking of laying on of hands, the way that the high priest would deal once a year, he would lay hands on the goat. This is where we get the phrase scapegoat. He would lay hands on the one goat and turn it free. Too bad for the other. Well, that goat had to live in the wilderness and figure it out on its own. But the other goat was the sacrifice. So there's a picture of Jesus again. There's the sacrifice Jesus died but there's the sacrifice Jesus rose. But Jesus didn't take the blood of goats or bullocks. He took the precious blood of the only begotten son of Jesus. For then he, Christ, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The first sacrifice that you hear of is Cain and Abel. And Abel's sacrifice was a lamb. Cain's sacrifice was veggies. But he didn't have to offer up a lamb. He had to offer it with the right heart. Samuel told Saul, it's better to obey than sacrifice. 
So that's the first mention of the sacrifice, and that's Abel. The second mention of the sacrifice is when Isaac took, uh, when uh, Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and Isaac says, "Well, here's the wood, and here's the fire, and but where's the sacrifice? God will provide Himself a sacrifice." The third mention of a sacrifice is Melchizedek. And we'll talk about what kind of sacrifice he brought, and it wasn't a lamb. It was a type of a lamb, back to types and antitypes. So the fifth bullet comes from verse 4. He was chosen and appointed by God. This is, again, the Levitical priesthood, and we're doing the parallels of where God comes in. Here's the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now there are several things to come from here. Again, chapter 6, when they translated it, they used the word, in, in some cases, they used the word baptisms instead of immersions, but that word baptizo means more than just immerse, it also means to wash. And so in chapter 6, when it says, we want, I want you to leave the, the notion of the laying of the hands and leave the notion of baptisms, well, they were exposed to baptism. What was John the Baptist doing in, in the river? He was baptizing Jews. But Paul's talking about something much broader than that. When Jesus and his disciples were going through the fields and they start picking some of the, some of the food and eating it, what did the Pharisees say? You didn't wash your hands. And it wasn't just like that. It was like a surgeon does. He washes This was considered the hand. This was considered the palm. And so when Jesus was crucified, that's where the nail went in the palm of his hand. Although we think of this as the palm. This was the hand. And so Paul tells, tells them, get away from that laying of the hand stuff, the goat. Get away from all those ablutions, all those washings. What did Pontius Pilate do before he condemned Jesus Christ? He washed his hands. What did the high priest do right before he said he blasphemes? He tore his garment. That was the end of the Levitical priesthood because, and we, we touched on that last week, the garment was not to be torn. And when Jesus admitted or recognized and said again that he was the Son of God, the high priest tore his clothes. So, and, and we're, not, we're now moving on to some new, new material here. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him and said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. What did I hit? He's mentioned once in Psalm 110, and that's where the quote from Hebrews comes from. 
Psalm 110, verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the, the Jewish people are familiar with this psalm. It's verse 1 where the Bible says, David said, The Lord said to my Lord, and Jesus said, If the prophecy was for the son of David, how could David be calling his son Lord? Because physically, he was the son of David through Mary, but he was also God. He was the God-man. So verse 4, he says, you will be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Genesis 14 is the only place where Melchizedek is mentioned in terms of the story, right? Now, when I said Lot, the story that comes into most people's mind is Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels, and they take them out and the pillar of salt. Lot's also involved before chapter 19. Of course, he's involved where they said that they had so much sheep that there wasn't, there, there wasn't enough land for the two of them, so Abraham said, you pick which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. And Lot picked what he thought was the easy way. He found out later on it wasn't quite so easy. But what happened in chapter 14 was there were some pagan kings that came and sacked Sodom. There were five kings. The number of the five in the Bible stands for either grace or death. For those kings, it was death. For Lot, it was grace. So those five kings come and they sack Sodom. They take Lot and his children and his, his goods with them. And word comes to Abraham. He says, we're not going to have that. Abraham takes 318 guys against five armies and wins. So this is right after the win, okay? After his return from the defeat of whoever that guy is, and the kings who were with them, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the word Salem means peace, the king of peace, Jerusalem means city of peace, so here you have Melchizedek, who was the king of Jerusalem. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. The kings came from the, after Saul. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was of the tribe of Judah. All the prophecies, even uh, starting at Genesis 49, when Jacob on his deathbed was giving the different blessings, he said the blessing, the, the scepter will never leave Judah once it got there. It had to go through Benjamin to get there. Priest and king. Who do we know other than Melchizedek who was both priest and king? It would be Jesus, all right? So here, in my opinion, is a theophany. What does the word theophany mean? The coming of God. Epiphany means the coming out. E, the preface E, stands from out from. Funny means coming, not F-U-N-N-Y, but P-H-A-N. The coming out. Theophany means the coming of God. He came in the Old Testament, and there he was. 
with no roots, doesn't say where Melchizedek came from, doesn't say where he came from, doesn't say where he went to, but there he is, priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. What was the sacrifice? He blessed the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The sacrifice was a type of the lamb, bread and wine. When Jesus had that last supper, first he went, and the best detail is really in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul tells us about, and we're going to receive communion today. First Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat, for this is, this is my body. Melchizedek as a type, Jesus as an antitype. Melchizedek before the law was given. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new, the new testament, the new covenant. And that will be coming out loud and clear in chapters 7 through 9. There's Melchizedek long, long time ago, 2,000 years before Christ. Again, how do you do calendars? Christ was 0 A.D., B.C. David was 1,000. You can go down 500 and you now have Ezra and Nehemiah. You can go up 500 and you have, did I say down 1,000? Down 500, you have Ezra and Nehemiah. You go up 1,000, you've got Moses. So Christ, David, Abraham, 0,000, 2,000. You can do it really quickly that way. Okay? So 2,000 years, 2,064 years before Paul wrote Hebrews, if you subscribe to Paul, there's Melchizedek. And his name is mentioned, I think, eight times in the book of Hebrews, but only twice in the Old Testament, once the activity and once pointing to the book of Hebrews, pointing to Jesus Christ. The agony in the garden. Who has seen that painting before? Somehow, some way. Okay. Everybody else is too lazy to raise their hands. That's okay. If you go to Israel and you go to this church called the Church of the agony, there's a church built there, and inside that church is this monster rock, that one. So the artist was kind of close, but I don't think Jesus was there saying, well, Dad, should we do this or shouldn't we? If, if there's any way around it, let's talk plan B. That's not the way Jesus was having his, they call it agony for a reason. In Luke's gospel, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Those are the words, but that wasn't the posture. The Bible says that in, in the verses following in Luke, it says, and he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. I've mentioned before, I'm on blood thinner, and I overdosed because I was doing ibuprofen as well. And when I would sweat, the sweat was red. I was sweating drops of blood. I wasn't like Jesus, and I, I was just working in the backyard. But here's Hebrews. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayer and petitions with loud cries 
and tears. He wasn't negotiating with his dad. He was begging with his dad. And we're going to see that verse starting right here on, we call it Maudie Thursday. His passion begins with shedding of drops in blood. And it continues on. He was slapped by the servant of the high priest. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was flogged, and they didn't stop at 39. A lot of men never, never survived the flogging. Then he had to haul wood around the city. And finally, he was nailed. And he hung between heaven and earth for my sins and the sins of the whole world. I've told this story before. Sean, I don't think you've heard this. Eric, Carolyn, I know you didn't hear this. I used to work for a French company, and I had some expats from there coming in there working for me. And one was a French Jew, and the other one was a Portuguese communist. Communism, it's a, it's a known party in many cities, many countries in Europe. And I was not in the room, and they were arguing over who killed Jesus. The Jews said the Romans did it, and the Portuguese said the Jews did it. And I walked to the room, and I said, you're both wrong. I did it. It was for my sins and the sins of the world. And he suffered once for all, including yours truly and including that Jew and that communist. There's a bumper sticker that I wish I had taken a picture of it because I haven't seen it since. Jesus loves you, whether you like it or not. Now, how's that for a rabbit trail? Where are we here? So there's some other times when Jesus wept. Anybody want to name them? The death of Lazarus, that comes John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. And they replied, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. He was touched by our infirmities. There were his two, the Lazarus' two sisters. The one chose the better part to listen and the other one took kitchen duty. They were truly brokenhearted. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, yet you will live. And that also comes up in, Je in Hebrews chapter 6 where Jesus is saying, don't give up on, or don't worry about the laying of the hands and don't worry about the, 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 um, the washings. And don't worry about the resurrection. Now, we're going to see some verses where the, the resurrection was known as a general resurrection in the Old Testament and the Hebrew economy. The resurrection comes in two parts. The resurrection of the living, you if you're saved, and the resurrection of the dead. Revelation chapter 20. You get to chapter 20 yet? Okay, Revelation chapter 20 says, death and hell gave up their dead. And they appeared before the great white throne. Not a question of saved versus lost because their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. They were judged according to their works. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
So that was the first time Jesus cried. Anybody want to take a shot at the second time? Was not the agony of the garden. He was coming down from the Mount of Olives on the week of his death. There was Sunday, Hosanna to the Son of David. There was Friday, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus not only saw both, he saw the entire spectrum. James tells us life is but a vapor. It appears for a moment, then it vanishes away. But Jesus saw that whole spectrum. And he's looking down on Jerusalem as he's coming down off the Mount of Olives. He'd have to go through the Kidron Valley. Gethsemane's over here. And then he would go up through the Eastern Gate. And he says, as he approached Jerusalem, this is Luke chapter 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Peace with God. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. They were blinded. Hosanna, which means deliver us, crucify him. Fifty days later was Pentecost. And there was Paul speaking to all those people and they heard in their own language and many of them were saved. A few days later, Paul's talking some more and the Bible says, and even some of the priests believed. These were the audience of Hebrews. But when Jesus came down, he saw those people, he could hear the cries on both ends. He could hear the people saying, let his blood be on us and on our children's children. He could see that beautiful uh, temple to be destroyed not 40 years later, and he cried for those people. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. This was Titus Vesavius. And encircle you and hem you in on every side. And it was a brutal siege. And when Titus Vesavius, or Josephus tells us this, when he finally entered into the city, he said, Lord, don't punish me for what I've done to this city. Those people fought till the very end. It'd be just like Harry Truman. He made a decision to drop the bomb. And the, the, the revisionists are saying, oh, he was, he was a xenophyte because he... Uh, uh, a xenophobe, because he did that. He saved hundreds of thousands of lives because those Japanese were not going to quit. It wasn't until Hirohito got response of what happened to Hiroshima and Nagasaki that he said, oh, we, can't, we can't do this. And the king saved hundreds of thousands of his lives and Truman saved hundreds of thousands of our fellows' lives by that decision. And unlike our today's Congress where they talk about kicking the can down the road, Truman said, the buck stops here. Jesus cried with loud cries. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. 
Now, there are several passages in the Old Testament where they're talking about dashing you to the ground. They talk about the babies. The Assyrians did that to Israel when they came in. The Bible says they dashed the children's heads on the ground. Can you imagine the leverage if you grab a pair of heels and just go, Whoa. and then the Babylonians did it to the Jews. Whoa. And then the Ro and then the New Testament, the Roman, well, it's not in the New Testament, but it's in Josephus, and he Jesus predicts it here. Whoa. Now, what do we do? Virginia and New York are already doing, well, we'll give the child something to be comfortable with, and then we'll just kill it. Several years ago, I did the calculation, and I added up the number of people that have been killed thanks to Roe versus Wade. And I took the Vietnam War Memorial and the size of the font. And if every baby that we killed was on that war memorial, it would start down in D.C. And by today, it would end in Trenton. That's the wall of the people we killed. And Jesus saw that, and he wept. And then he goes with his father, and there was, I was going to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was <laughs> Peter, James, and John, and he says, well, can't you pray with me for a little while? And we, we, we look at that. Well, it's sort of a civil thing. He goes back to those guys. Hey, Pete, can't you just pray with me a little while? And he goes back, not my will, but thine will. No, it was with cries and it was with tears. And he saw those babies killed. And he saw all those people in the wars killed. And he saw the Jews in the Holocaust. And he saw Stalin's Jews that were killed. And he saw Chinese and the, and the Christians that they killed. And he saw the people that the, the Christians killed during the Spanish Inquisition. Now, I haven't killed anybody, but I've been angry. Anger and patience are my two downfalls. James tells us to confess our faults one to another. Well, there you have it. And Jenny knows exactly which buttons to push. The Bible says if you're guilty of anger, you're guilty of murder. And Jesus saw all that. And he wept when he was coming down to Jerusalem. But then that week things got more and more intense. And he came down and he told the apostles, he said, just go and find this room and we're going to have our supper there. And that's when, just like Melchizedek, he offered up the bread and the wine. Against, again, a type. Melchizedek, bread and wine. And you know, they didn't need to get fed. He would, the bread and wine wasn't for Abram. Why didn't they need to get fed? They just came back with all the booty that they got back from those kings. They had more than enough food. Jesus is offering physical bread, physical wine, types of himself, so that on Easter Sunday morning, he could present his body and present his blood in the Holy of Holies, not a type, but an anti-type. An angel, continuing on, but I didn't have this verse on the wall. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Athletes talk about a second wind. Jesus was human. Did Jesus ever get sick? 
Yes, he was human. Did Jesus ever cry? I mean, as, as a child, we just talked about three times. As a child, I get a big kick out of the, Martin Luther wrote the song, Away in the Manger, and he says, no crying he makes. Well, if Jesus were wet, or Jesus were hungry, or Jesus wanted some attention, he would cry. He was all human. If he was, if he was just God and not God-man, he couldn't have died. But he died. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, more earnestly than the cries and the tears. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He prayed for me. And if the clock behaves and it's not, we're going to cover the verse that says, he learned obedience through suffering. So let's see where we are. We're right at 945. Okay, I want to end right here. Stop being a pew potato. Hebrews 5 says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. A pew potato is one who sits, soaks it up, and doesn't squeeze it out, just sours, just like if you had a sponge at your kitchen sink and you clean and if you didn't rinse out that sponge and you just left it on the sink, it's going to sour. What Paul's going to do, starting in chapter 6, he's going to push us to get off the pew, to study and to serve. And let's quit right there.